0: Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's young adult ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the blessing of fellowship with fellow believers. And we thank you for the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that knits our hearts together, that unifies us, though we may be from different places and different backgrounds, uh, that you bring us together, Lord God, under the headship of Christ, and we are one in you, Jesus. And so we, we are delighted to gather in your name. We're excited to look at the pages of Scripture because it is alive and active, and we believe that every time we do so intentionally, you have something special to speak into our lives. So with the message that that I've prepared and with the text that we have before us we ask for your blessing in Jesus name amen all right well family reunion is what we're going to see tonight Jacob and Esau meeting and Jacob he's been on the trail back to the promised land for weeks now and we typically forget because there's kind of a volley back and forth from Haran to Canaan but this is like 500 miles so he's been on the road for weeks caravanning with his kids and his wives and his uh, herds and his herdsmen and his male and female servants. So this has been an ordeal in and of itself. He barely uh, made it out safely against Laban only because the Lord was looking out for him, but his father-in-law tracked him down and had some words for him. And so he's escaped the, the grips of Laban and the dangers there. He's escaped the dangers of the road and now his next issue that he has to face is this confrontation with Esau. And if you remember, the last time they parted ways. Esau vowed to kill Jacob. So Jacob doesn't know if he wants to renew the sentiments of murdering him. So he's, he's cautiously approaching the land of Canaan. He's worried. He's wondering what Esau is gonna, how he's going to react when he sees Jacob. And so he's been preparing himself for this confrontation that is about to take place in the next couple of verses here. So verse 1. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So after a sleepless night, why didn't he get any sleep? Because he was wrestling all night with this stranger, who we came to find out to be the Lord himself, Wrestling all night, this stranger happened to dislocate Jacob's hip as well. And now he's nursing his dislocated hip, hobbling around his campsite. He looks up and he sees Esau coming his way with 400 men. Probably not the most friendly, welcoming party you could put together. And now he's worried. I don't know if you could imagine this whole entourage, this small army coming your way, not knowing what intentions they had. This is what he's seeing. And so he prepares to face Esau. But this can be a very scary place to be. And that is when you are between God's promise and God's actual deliverance. God has promised to protect Jacob. He's promised that he will get him to the promised land. But yet the threat still lies ahead. And God will be faithful, spoiler alert, to protect Jacob in this. However, this is the scary point of faith, and it's actually the point where we often find ourselves, right? We are between the promise of the resurrection hope, but we still have death in front of us somewhere, don't we? We still have to wait for that actual resurrection to take place, and what a glorious day that's going to be. Carlos saying about, you know, how we'll fly away one day, and how we'll, we'll go into the presence of the Lord. We don't know. None of us have, unless you've had some out-of-body experience, and I have, I'd love to hear about it. You could talk to me later. But the majority of us, probably all of us in here, have never experienced death, and we don't know what that's like. We don't know what it would be like to be ushered into the presence of God. It's kind of scary. And so right now, we function in faith, believing God's promise is coming, even though the threat is looming, the threat of death, the threat of the enemy, the threat of uh, the flesh and sin, you name it. It, it, we we can stare that in the face, but God is faithful, guys, and know that. And so Jacob prepares now to face Esau. And what does he do? He separates his family in order of favor. Really, he puts the servants and their kids up front. Leah and her kids, her six kids, and then Rachel last with the single her, his his prized son Joseph, right? His favorite son Joseph. And we've seen this polygamous relationship already display unhealthy behaviors, right? The the wives fighting over Joseph, who could have the most kids, who's sleeping with him that night. You know, just crazy unhealthy situations taking place with polygamy. And now we start to see the favoritism setting in and how how it's going to affect the, the siblings themselves. So much so that it will eventually lead to Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers, I don't, know, I don't know if you have a healthy relationship with your siblings or not, but I don't know if you would, could imagine even like selling your sibling into some kind of slave market. That's messed up. That's pretty cruel. And they reached the point of doing that. And uh, I think we start to see this favoritism right now in this chapter, and it definitely leads to the, the siblings' animosity as they see dad protecting Joseph more, favoring Joseph more. We'll see these in, this in the upcoming chapter. So Esau is approaching Verse 3, and it says, he himself went on before them, that is Jacob, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So what does Jacob do? After setting his family behind him, he takes the lead. He takes charge. He goes out and he faces this entourage of men who are perhaps coming to murder them, and he goes out and faces them head on. I think this is commendable. This is courageous of Joseph. Let's face it, he's He's probably no good in a fight at this point. Rachel and Leah could probably do a better job uh, than, than Joseph w- or than Jacob with his dislocated hip at this point. But nevertheless, Jacob takes charge and takes lead to be the protector of his family, to protect his wives, to protect his children. And men, this should be the role that we fulfill as well in society. I want you guys to know that. That you would be men who, have, who, who are men of honor and men of courage who will stand up and defend the people around you. I'm talking even physically. This isn't just spiritual level. God honors courageous men who are willing to put themselves at risk to protect those around them. And we ought to follow Jacob's example here and be men of courage. Men who will stand up against the people who are abusing and misusing people. I want to camp out on this idea just for a minute because it's such an important conversation right now in our, in our society, the enemy is trying so hard to emasculate the men of our society. Do you guys know that? Do you guys see that happening? And he, the sad thing is, is he's going for our kids. He's going for our little boys. The enemy is attacking our boys. For instance, just consider the last 15 years or so of Disney princess movies. Okay, just think about it. The motif of Prince Charming has been altogether written out of the stories We haven't had true Prince Charming's in our story for decades in Disney movies. What I mean by Prince Charming is a man who's competent and honorable enough to be able to be the hero of the story. A a man who's competent and courageous enough to where the woman does find herself attracted to him. And he is able to do the right thing. You don't see that a whole lot. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed looking at the, the Disney movies, princess movies over the last 15 years, to find a competent man who's actually able to be the hero. In fact, most of the Disney movies, they make the princess herself to be the hero. And I'm not saying that that's bad, that the princess is a hero. It's good that we encourage our daughters as well to be courageous. But nevertheless, they've written out the narrative of the courageous male figure. And all the male figures, most of them I should say, in these Disney movies, They all have some form of incompetency that renders them unable to be the hero, so the princess has to stand up and do it for herself. The princess has to take charge, right? I'm telling you, go back, and even just go through the catalog in your head, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a consistent narrative. And it's tragic because what it tells our little girls is, hey, don't expect much from the men in your life. Most of them are bumbling idiots and incompetent. And just be prepared to take care of things yourself. That's really what we're telling our young, young ladies growing up. We're telling the young men, hey, the standard is pretty low for you. In fact, we're basically expecting you to fail. We don't expect you to be a Prince Charming because they don't exist anymore. It's tragic. It's really tragic what society and what the enemy is doing to the masculinity that we should be having, to true men who are mighty men, who are heroes, who are courageous and honorable, who honor women, who protect the innocent who protect those who are even weaker than themselves now it's okay to have women like i said to be the heroes of the story but if you just look at the real world guys look at the look at the real world situation okay if men do not stand up in their society to protect the people around them that society becomes corrupt and that society falls it really is on the shoulders of the men that might, that might not be PC, that might sound sexist, but look around. You have countries all over the world who are either defined, they're defined by the decisions of their men. It's either a country where the men choose honor and stand up and do what's right and protect those in their community from bad people, or the men choose to exercise uh, authority over their community as tyrants And the women and children are abused in those societies. Just look in the Middle East. Just look at Africa. Look at Afghanistan right now. you think the women are safe right now in Afghanistan? No, they're not. And this is the reality of the world, that without men who are going to be honorable and courageous like Jacob here, it's going to be a mess. The whole Amazon woman thing, I love Wonder Woman. The Wonder Woman narrative is awesome, it's cool, but it's not real. There is no Amazon women society full of women who will protect the society. In fact, there is no society that is protected by the women. There is no no society in which the women have overtaken the society as the tyrants and taken control. It doesn't happen. Because by design, it cannot happen. And so, I'm not saying this to belittle women. I'm not saying this to make women feel weak or seem insignificant. I hope you're not getting that at all. I tell this to my daughter as well, and I try to encourage her to understand how valuable it is to have masculine men, but that she can still be brave and tough as well. I know a lot of tough women, strong women, women in law enforcement who I would not want to tangle with, right? Um, but nevertheless, they're the exception to the rule. And so I'm saying this, guys, so, so, so that you men will understand the importance to choose to be men of integrity and to be men of courage, and that we would stand up for those around us, and to women as well, especially moms, that you would understand that you should raise your little boys with the thought that it's okay to encourage them to to pretend to be heroes. It's okay to encourage their little warrior spirits as long as we raise them to also be men of integrity. And I think that we all need to help our boys grow up to be masculine men of honor, men of courage. Amen? So Jacob takes the lead, and he starts to bow before Esau seven times. It's kind of a peculiar thing, right? But what's happening here is... There are these ancient letters that were discovered. They're called the Tablets of El Amarna. And these tablets talk about the diplomacy between the Egyptians and the Canaanites. And in these tablets, it talks about how in that day you were to greet kings by bowing to the ground seven times. And that you would also offer gifts of the flock to them. And so basically what's happening here is Jacob is recognizing Esau as a king in the region. He's honoring Esau as a king in the region. He's conveying, hey, I'm not here to rule over you, Esau. I'm here to, I I, I want to pay homage to you. I'm not here to, I'm not a threat to you. He's humbling himself. But you might think to yourself, but isn't Jacob, isn't the promise of God for Jacob to rule over Esau and to rule over that region? Yes, it is. That is the promise of God. However, Jacob hasn't been told to take the land by force. God didn't say you were going back to the promised land and you were going to conquer it. What did God do in leading Jacob? He dislocated his hip. In fact, he made made Jacob unable to be a conquering king to where he just had to trust in the Lord to to allow this to unfold. So what Jacob does here is amazing. He's not only courageous, but he's also humble. And he allows God now to be the one to exalt him in God's timing. The Bible says that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. God will humble you. Those who humble themselves before the Lord, God will exalt in His time. And this is a great policy to live by. That we would be those who humble ourselves, that we wouldn't take matters into our own hands, we wouldn't strive for the victory, we wouldn't strive for our own success, but we would rather just trust in the Lord to exalt us in His time. And I don't know where you're at in life, if there's somebody in your life who's like always trying to one-up you. Someone who Maybe there's someone at your workplace who's like always trying to make you look bad and try to make themselves look better than you. But if that's the case, just let them exalt themselves. Here's a, here's a grand idea. Let them win. Just let them win. Let them have first place. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Just let them get ahead of you in the line and let God exalt you. Because when men exalt themselves, it's, it's superficial and it's bound to fail but when god exalts you who's going to take that away from you let god be the one to exalt you just like joseph is, or jacob jacob humbles himself and god is faithful to diffuse the situation to protect him and eventually establish him in the in the promised land verse 4 it says but esau ran to meet him and you're like oh here it is brave heart scene they're going to fight he ran to meet him and he fell on his neck no, it says he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. You're like, man, I thought he was like talking about like a pile driver action, you know. He, bam, fell on his neck like that, broke his neck. No, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It's actually very anticlimactic, right? This tension is building over the last chapter or so. And all of a sudden, this potential fight scene turns into really just an emotional reunion. As these guys see each other, th- these old nostalgic emotions of growing up together just start flooding in. And God just does a work here. And they come together and they just embrace each other as brothers. It's it's pretty amazing. And, uh, which, by the way, is another thing we can learn about masculinity, guys. We shouldn't be so macho that we don't show affection, that we don't show that we love each other. And that's another word for parents, for you fathers. Don't be so macho and manly that you don't show your kids physical affection. Like, you. For a father, like mothers, it seems like most mothers, most women, they're just natural nurturers, but for men, for men to to embrace their kids and hug them and kiss them, it's really a special thing. So men, it's not not, uh, emasculating to be affectionate, okay? We can be affectionate and be macho, okay? But it's evident here that God has done a work in these two guys, because this, this by all accounts, should have led to an explosion of bitterness, to a battle. That's why Jacob was anticipating all of this. But it miraculously has turned into brotherly love. And what this tells me is that God is able to bring healing to the craziest relationships in your life. Remember, Esau had reason enough to vow to murder his brother. Things were pretty bad. Jacob basically took everything valuable away from Esau's future, and yet here they are completely operating in mercy and grace and loving each other, and this is a work of God, and God can do the same type of restoration in your broken relationships, and the relationships in your life that have bitterness, that are, that are maybe just laced with bitterness, where perhaps it's hard for you to even think of that, that other person without getting angry, or without arguing with them in your head. I know you do that. You'd be like sitting there doing the dishes and you start arguing with them. I know you've got that one person, right? And God is able to bring healing in that area and in that relationship. And that's why one of the best things you can do to mend those broken relationships is just pray to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Every time like you want to be bitter at that person and argue with them and, and, and justify yourself in your own mind, just take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I forgive them. I just, I release them, Lord. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I put them in your hands. And it feels so good when you do that. You'll have to do it again and again. It takes a little bit of time to heal and everything. But as you learn to do that, God brings healing to your heart. He takes away that bitterness, that root of bitterness. And it's amazing. He'll set you free. And pray for the other person as well who might be bitter or resentful towards you. Pray that God would release them from that bitterness. Guys, it's a hell to live with bitterness. It's a hell to live in animosity and in conflict with people, and even if you're set free from it, pray that they would be set free as well. So much so that if you guys were to you, to come back together, it would be a peaceful reunion. God is able to do that, and notice they don't actually bring up the past issues at all. Esau doesn't be like, "Hey, I thought about the whole stealing my birthright thing, and I forgive you, buddy." You know, they don't they don't rehash it or anything like that, right? They just. They just like let it go. They have grace, they have mercy. Matthew 18 is, is the, the rule that Jesus gave us when you have conflict with somebody. And it says that if you have an issue with somebody, an offense against you, take it to that individual. And the idea, the idea is that don't go talking to everyone else about it. Go directly to that person and address it with that person and, 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 and have it taken care of. Now. It's also in the context of, like, church discipline. So, like, it's, it's talking about a, a legit sin that you're concerned in somebody's life that might hinder them from actually being a true Christian. That is more of the context as well. But we often take that verse, that section, and use it as a coverall for every relational difficulty we have. But understand, it; it's not necessarily a coverall. Sometimes it's wise not to rehash... Uh, old issues and old offenses, right? If grace and mercy have had their work in you, there's no need to retell the offense. uh, Pastor Robert tells a story about this. He said there was this lady, he never even knew like this lady hated him or had an issue with him. And this lady came up and she was all like happy. She's like, you know, I'm just so thankful. God has really done a work in my heart because I hated you for years. (laughs) And Robert's like, why would you? He's thinking, why would you tell me that? He's like, now I hate you. You know, now, now I have issues with you. You know, it's, it's not always wise to rehash things um, or, or to bring things up. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. Sometimes the loving thing is just to bury the hatchet and move forward. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Sometimes we'll be like, hey, Matthew 18, that guy. But you're really just doing it to bring up a, a, an offense and to open up a wound. That maybe doesn't need to be opened up. We have to be discerning. And they don't, they don't rehash things out. They come together in love because God has brought healing to their hearts. And God can do the same with our relationships. Verse 5. It says, And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then likewise the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down, and last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. So they honored Esau as well. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, well, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. Look, by confirming to me that you really do have healing in your heart and that you have accepted me. Just please, please accept my gift. Please accept my gift. For I have seen your face, he says, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough, he says. Thus he urged him and he took it. So both of these guys are pretty wealthy at this point. Uh, it's not a big deal. Neither of them were like desperate for more flocks, but it's really the principle of the matter. And Esau's like, look, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need your stuff. It's okay. It's all right. But by way of cleansing, of, of clearing the air and confirming the reconciliation, Jacob's like, no, it's really important to me that you accept this gift. I want to give it to you. I want to, I want to give as a token of my gratitude to, to your favor. I want you to accept this gift. And he accepts the gift. By way, in way of releasing Jacob, like saying, Hey, we're good. We are good. And there is something, guys, about giving gifts and receiving gifts that reflect healthy relationships. Like, I don't know if you've received someone, a gift from somebody that you had a weird relationship with, but it's strange. It's kind of a strange thing. I had this experience years ago, but even before I was married. I had a, a, a friend of mine. Um, we were hanging out for a little while, and he, I mean, he, like everybody, he had his own issues, and he had crossed a few lines with my family. And he really, I'll just say, he dishonored my family, and he was very disrespectful to me. He he did things that a friend shouldn't do, and he never he never dealt with it. Like he, I, I even confronted him. I Matthew eighteened him, you know. And he, but he never he never apologized. Uh, he wasn't really remorseful, and. And, so, and we weren't friends anymore. It was really a tragic thing. And I, I've, I've since forgiven him. I'm not bitter towards him. I want blessings for him. But he called me out of the blue one time and wanted. he was getting rid of a lot of things that he had. I guess he was moving or something. He wanted to give me this gift. It was kind of an expensive thing that he owned that he wanted me to have. And it was. I was so uncomfortable. It, I just felt so wrong to accept a gift from him when he hadn't reconciled Properly with me he'd never like addressed his offense toward me and my family and it just didn't feel right to me but there's something about a reconciled relationship where it feels okay to receive gifts, and it feels good to give gifts and so it's it's indicative of the fact that their hearts have have been reconciled truly reconciled here as as Esau finally does receive the gift hey everyone pastor Sean here You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway in Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.